Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. From our epistle reading this morning, uh, it says, Let us offer to God acceptable worship. The writer of the Hebrews says, he says, Let us offer up a sacrifice of praise. You're interested, if you'd like to to see those words, they are uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, chapter 13. As we dig a little bit in this morning, it starts with, in many ways, this uh, interesting question. It really wants us to ask, what is this saying? What is acceptable worship? What does that look like? Let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let us continually offer up a a sacrifice of praise. Well, what does that look like? Worship's one of those interesting things among Christians. There is so much debate about worship. What is acceptable worship? I mean, my own family disagrees about what the the right thing about worship is, and and maybe that goes on in your families or friends as well. We have to have liturgy. Oh, we can't have liturgy. We have to do everything kind of free and, and do whatever. Oh, we have to have hymns from the hymnal. Oh, we can't use hymns from the hymnal. We have to have praise songs. Pastors have to wear vestments. We have to stand up in here and look like pastors. No, no, pastors have to have normal clothes on and look like us. And the debate goes on and on and on about music and clothes and structure and furniture. And of course, what I think is actually the right way, isn't it? What I want is what everybody else really should want. (laughs) But, but what do we do about this phrase, acceptable worship? Now, I'm going to contend this morning that that maybe that doesn't look exactly what we think it looks like. And how we define that may be not how you're normally used to defining it. Well, what is acceptable worship? Well, maybe we'll start with the second one first. What is a sacrifice of praise? Now, sacrifice, though an Old Testament concept, really still comes into our North culture today, doesn't it? We sacrifice for things. Think about that young mother. The baby's born. Instantly, it's a life of quiet and bliss, right? Oh, no, right? The midnight cryings and feedings and changings. All of those things being expensive. The parents giving of themselves sacrifices are made in terms of time, in terms of money for the sake of this child who doesn't even understand what's going on. Or maybe two Marines uh, in battle. They take cover in a ditch, and instantly there's a hand grenade thrown in, and the one Marine puts his body over it to shield the others and to save their lives at the expense of his. Those are scenes in modern culture of what sacrifice looks like. 
that's really not what we're talking about in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, worship happened uh, in the temple. Centuries before Jesus, in Jerusalem, a temple was built uh, in the directions of God, and Jews made their sacrifices there. They would go to the altar, uh, and outside the altar, it was an altar outside of the actual temple proper in the courtyard, and, and there they would sacrifice all sorts of animals. Bulls, sheep, goats, lambs, doves, pigeons. And they would offer these animals at all sorts of different times and for different reasons. There would be sacrifices for peace and sacrifices for prayers. They had especially sacrifices that, that took away sin and guilt. In fact, that's what we focus on this morning. There was one particular day in Jewish life that was one of the most important. It's called Yom Kippur. It's still celebrated today. In fact, it's October 4th and 5th uh, this year. It's laid out in Leviticus 16 as to what uh, they were supposed to do. Yom Kippur involves three animals. So first, they would begin with a bull, uh, which is killed uh, and sacrificed. Uh, its blood was sprinkled on the altar for the atonement of the sins of the priests. Then they would take a goat, sacrifice of that animal, take the blood uh, and sprinkle it on the people, which seems like a perfect moment to take an object lesson. So I have this, and I'm going to take it and watch the altar guild panic until I come out and threaten to spray it all on you. But that was worship uh, in the Old Testament. It's very sensory. It involves so many uh, of the different senses. Uh, it's visual. You can see it. Uh, the red and the blood dripping off the altar. Um, it's very auditory. You can hear the hymns. You can hear the animals bleeding uh, before and crying out before they're killed. It's very sensory. It's even smell. You have the, the burning of the sacrifices, the smell of blood. Blood worship in the Old Testament was very sensory. So there were three animals. There's actually a third animal. This was another goat. Prayers were said over the goat, uh, and the sins of the people were symbolically laid on this goat, and then the goat was let go outside of the city. It's called the scapegoat. Maybe you've all of a sudden heard of it. Go, oh, well, that's the source of the term. They, these sins would escape. They would leave, uh, and that was symbolic of God taking away well, the sins uh, of the people. Now, it's fascinating about altar worship in the Old Testament, in all of its visual and its sound and its senses, but it's also very temporary. It's repetitive. You see, they did the sacrifices, these rituals, over and over again, either weekly or monthly or annually, but it didn't last. They kept doing it and repeating it to take away the, the people's guilt. We keep continually sinning, and those sacrifices are offered repeatedly. 
But then there came a day. There, there came a day when sacrifices in the temple were no longer needed. They were no longer needed because God made a once-for-all sacrifice for the people on the cross. When Jesus came, the place of sacrifice moves from the altar in the temple to the cross. Now, on this cross, there's this wonderful reversal, altar of stone, cross of wood. The symbolism switches uh, even more deeply. On the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice was made in the temple. Then they took the goat outside of the city in order to forgive sins. Jesus was crucified outside the city in order that we could come into the temple, into God's presence, and worship. There's this reversal. It wasn't a day of celebration, though. Yom Kippur was a day of celebration and joy. Good Friday was much different. It was a day of agony. Jesus' head bowed as he has spent that day suffering, suffering deeply. If you looked at his back, it would have been marred with the stripes of being scourged, his hands pierced, dripping with blood. His feet had been pierced also with a nail and fastened to the bottom of the cross. A spear had punctured his side. I imagine there was a pool of blood under there as well. I could grab the jar again and maybe pour it here instead. I laugh, but it's a terrible thing. Imagine real blood. This empty cross doesn't quite do it justice. This is a place, this is an altar of sacrifice where something was given to death for you and for me. Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. The writer Hebrews is spending a lot of time linking the Old Testament and all of its rituals and rules to the New Testament and how Jesus completes it all for us. Jesus' sacrifice is now that one and only sacrifice that replaces all of the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament through him, that one time, one sacrifice for all. Jesus' sacrifice now is the only sacrifice that sanctifies us before God. It's in that confidence, it's in that promise uh, that we gather this morning. It's not a sacrifice done here on the Old Testament altar for forgiveness. It's not done here on a cross. That is complete. Jesus said, it is finished. The sacrifices for atonement are done. We can't add any sacrifice to complete or to make any more perfect what Jesus did for us, 
But other sacrifices are made by God's people today. Where? Not on the altar, but did you hear what our readings said for today? It says, through him, Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We still make sacrifices to God. It refers to two here, the sacrifice of praise of our lips and the sacrifice of doing good and sharing what we have. So what do our sacrifices look like? Fortunately, they're not bloody. But they are sacrificial. He first begins and talks about the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise refers to what we say and what we do. What is that? Well, think about worship. Hymnals open, singing together. The words of the creed that we just spoke together as we profess our faith in who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we see uh, people singing. We see brothers and sisters in Christ gathering around us. We shake hands sometimes. We, we greet one another uh, during the worship service or before or after. Worship is very visual from the, the shape of the church that draws our eyes uh, upward. Sometimes it's called a nave. It's meant to resemble a, a ship, the, the ribs of the ship, as we gather together, reminding us uh, that we are one uh, in Christ. But it's not just at church. You see, that sacrifice, that sacrifice of praise goes on, not just on Sunday morning, but it goes on each and every day during our lives. We pray at home. We, we pray before meals. We sacrifice that, that offering of praise to the Lord as we speak his name to maybe somebody who doesn't know Christ or someone who needs support or encouragement uh, as they're struggling. That sacrifice of praise, that, that worship goes on as we do something and bless someone who may be in need. As we simply say, thank you, Lord, for, for a blessing and offer him the praise. Remember that even on Tuesday or Thursday, God continues to work in my life and I'm praising him for who he is and what he's done. That sacrifice of praise, who we are, fills our entire life, not just for an hour and five minutes if I get done on time on Sunday morning. There's also an, another sacrifice. That sacrifice, it says, of doing good. And, and what does that look? The, the writer to the Hebrews goes through this list uh, of many different things uh, that show how we sacrifice uh, and do what God calls us to do, being the people that we are called uh, to be. 
there are different ways that he says that can uh, be lived out. And he goes through this wonderful list of things that says, how do we do it? How do we do what is good and sacrifice through our actions, not just in worship, but in our whole lives? For example, he says, let brotherly love continue, verse 1. Brotherly love. It's that emphasis that says we're a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love one another. We sacrifice of ourselves to make ascension our home. We welcome and support and encourage one another, particularly maybe in times of need. We support various ministries and programs that allow us to to reach out uh, and to do that good, not just here, but around the world. Let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality, he says, providing food and drink, a place to stay for, for those in need. Your own hospitality in your home is a witness Our hospitality together. How do we uh, reach out and show hospitality to those who lack? Think about Mana Pantry, for example, or or the sharing center that we support. Other ways that we show love and care to those uh, who need. He says, remember those in prison in verse 3. That's a deeper level. He says, even someone who's done something wrong, so wrong that they're spending time in prison, show them hospitality. Not just to my friends, not just to the people I like. Even that convicted criminal. Ever gone and visited someone in prison? I have a few times. Very powerful experience. Very powerful to to meet with that person that's been convicted and being punished for a crime and still saying, God loves you. God forgives you. You are still a child of God. Verse 4, another sacrifice of doing good. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. Let marriage be undefiled. That relationship of husband and wife is an image of God's relationship with us. And we treat marriage with honor and respect. We use that as a way to glorify God. In this world that is rampant with pornography and television so rarely showing us what marriage really should look like, this climate that is so hostile to healthy relationships, we have the opportunity to witness by doing that which is good. It's sometimes hard to do, but that sacrifice of doing good shows forth God's goodness. Our marriages are a powerful witness to those who are led astray by today's culture. Verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's sometimes a sacrifice, isn't it? The reality that sometimes I don't get everything I want and I'm content with that. 
as I sacrifice uh, to the Lord, as I realize that sometimes all my, my worries and those things that get me all bound up, I need to give to God. And instead of worrying about what I don't have, take that opportunity to count your blessings. To intentionally and purposefully say, what has God gifted me? In terms of things. In terms of people. In terms of my situation. In terms of my own body. And then to realize when I see that commercial for that new car that I'd really kind of like, and, and maybe I don't like my car, to stop. And to say, God, you have blessed me. Being content is sometimes hard. But, but once again, the secret uh, to, is to thank God for what I have. Be content and not loving money, but, but loving God. Verse 7 and 17 talk about another way, another sacrifice of doing good. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. He's not talking about any leader in particular. In this case, those who spoke to you the word of God, uh, it's pastors, uh, it's missionaries, it's evangelists, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders, church leaders again. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. It's talking about our life together, how we treat one another, this mysterious relationship God gives between pastors and people and says that our life together is a witness our life together shows forth God's goodness. Do we love and support and encourage one another? Sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes that's sacrificial uh, as we give to God. Time, such a valuable currency, because <laughs> we have very little of it, right? We're not sitting around with much extra time. As we offer to God our tithes, our offerings as a sacrifice, not just digging through my purse and do I have a couple extra singles or a couple uh, pieces of change, but a sacrificial gift to the Lord, doing good as a witness, as a response to God doing good for me. Are you getting a, a picture of what that worship looks like? That, that sacrifice of praise, it's not just uh, Sunday morning. Uh, it's bigger than that. It's more than hymnals, investments. It's more than uh, those other things uh, that we do. Our whole lives are called to be sacrifices. Not just this morning. So as you, you go forth today, through him, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Take that voice, that sacrifice of praise, and say it and speak it and do it throughout your life. Do not neglect to do what is good. Share what you have for such sacrifices 
are pleasing to God. Take who you are because of what God has done for you on that cross and bring it into the world through you. Offer yourselves with your words by what you're doing. Jesus' gift of love to the world. Our life together is a witness. It's a response to all the good things God has done for us. May God grant to each one of us the joy, the privilege to offer ourselves as a sacrifice of praise and service to God. In Jesus' name, amen.